God is love. You've heard this before, right? 1 John 4, 8, 4, 16. It, it's, it's so comforting and pleasant. God is love. It just makes you feel like a, a warm bubble bath <laughs> in a meadow full of flowers with butterflies and rainbows overhead. And if that's your version of the truth of God's love, I don't think it's a complete picture. Because the, the truth of God's infinite love can be inconvenient, unpleasant, and sometimes a little offensive when we really play it out from beginning to end. The idea that the essential being of God is this infinite, indiscriminate love is something that should rattle you and radically destabilize a comfortable Southern California lifestyle. If God is love, then buckle your seatbelts, Dorothy, because Kansas is going bye-bye. <laughs> now, I know you guys don't believe me. You think I'm exaggerating because I'm a preacher. Um, this is the truth that we find, and we're going to enlist the help of Jonah to discover this truth because Jonah was the salty prophet. Now, when I say Jonah was a salty prophet, I don't just mean that he was dipped in briny seawater and marinated for three days in the belly of a fish at room temperature with a little garnish of seaweed strips. When I say Jonah was salty, I mean he was offended, angry, resentful, irritated. And he was salty because... He saw some pretty unsavory truths about the infinite love of God. And we're going to look at those unsavory truths of God's love this morning. The first unsavory truth about God's love is this. God really loves undeserving sinners. God deeply cares about people who are really, really messed up. God likes people that you don't even care about and you can't stand. God loves undeserving sinners. Jonah was salty because God's compassion and care towards the most messed up people he could imagine was on display and we read about it in this Jonah chapter 4. So if you have a Bible, open it uh, to Jonah chapter 4. We're going to start with verses 1 through 4. And we're going to read about the aftermath of this amazing revival that just happened in chapter 3. We're going to see Jonah's response. We'll start in chapter 4 verse 1. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly. And he was angry, 
And he prayed to the Lord and said, Oh Lord, is this not what I said when I was yet in my country? That is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish, for I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. Therefore, now, oh Lord, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. And the Lord said, Do you do well? To be angry? So Jonah is all salty because God really loves the undeserving sinners called the Ninevites. Now, you got to understand something from the get-go. Jonah, the book of Jonah is supposed to be sort of a funny, ironic little bit sarcastic type of a book. It's written, he, Jonah is kind of the the, the Bible's version of Seinfeld. You know, he's telling, he's telling true stories, but he's slanting it so that you really see how ridiculous it can be. And, and so he, it's almost this cartoonish exaggeration that we see of just, uh, I, I, I think that Jonah was written by Jonah himself in his later years as he reflected back on this episode and thought, Man, I was ridiculous back in those days. And you know what? A lot of us are ridiculous. And reading this book kind of shows us how ridiculous we can be. So he paints this ridiculous picture. You can kind of imagine like an evangelist like Greg Laurie doing this harvest crusade in a big stadium. And, and he gives this message of God's truth, and everyone comes forward. It's just like the stands are emptying, and I mean, even the, 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 the livestock are flooding down to the stage in tears. You know, you got to love those, those uh, contrite cows that are coming to the, to the field and crying their eyes out and repenting. Uh, old Bessie gets religion, and, and so all, I mean, Cats and dogs are coming down from the stands and parakeets and they're all repenting and turning to God. And, and this picture is made even more ridiculous because when it gets to chapter 4, we look and we see this great evangelist and he's over there sulking in the corner. And, you know, I, I think of my seven-year-old. He's a, he's a skillful sulker. You know, he's got this down to a science. He kind of sits there and makes the most miserable face you can imagine. Just make sure you know how angry he is. It looks like a literal U upside down, his, his little bottom lip. And he's just sulking and, and just, just as angry as can be, just sitting in the corner. And that's, that's your great evangelist after this great evangelistic event. And, you know, Disney used to have this thing where they would, they would after the, the Super Bowl or the, the World Series, they would go up to the MVP and they'll be like, Magic Johnson, you just won the NBA Finals. What are you going to do now? And then right on cue, Magic's like, I'm going to Disney World. And it was like this, you know, advertisement for, for Disney that was kind of under the covers there. But... but in this case, you have, you know, Jonah standing there and the, the, the announcer asks him, you know, Jonah, you just had the most successful revival in the history of the world. 
What are you going to do? And Jonah's like, I hate everything and want to die. <laughs> okay, let's have a word from our sponsors. Um, not the response that we expected. Um, Jonah's totally ticked. And God asks him, why so salty? And Jonah is like, I knew you were going to do this. I knew that you were a gracious and compassionate God, and you were going to have compassion on those bloody Ninevites. And God asked him, do you have a right to be angry here? And we'll, we'll get to that a little bit later. But Jonah is ticked off that an infinitely loving God loved these undeserving sinners. And, you know, he had a point. You know, Nineveh was the capital of Assyria. Assyria was known for being cruel and brutal and not recycling their plastic bottles. Uh, no, seriously, they were, they were the worst. These guys, would, they would um, skin people alive, their enemies that they conquered. They would... Uh, burn the children in fires. They would cut off their tongues and their, their fingers and their ears and their nose and their arms and, and other appendages. And they were just terrible. And this to Jonah's people. Like, his people had been treated so cruelly by the Assyrian Empire. And so, for him to think you know, these people should pay for what they've done. Like, it doesn't seem just for God to just forgive them after a few days of fasting. We want to see him, them held accountable for all of their crimes and their wickedness. I mean, we all love to see in the movies when the bad guy finally gets what's coming to him. They get what they deserve. And here, the Ninevites, God is merciful to them. God forgives them. Now, let's be honest. There are people we don't like, and we would prefer if God didn't like them too. We would prefer if God would do a little smiting when that guy in the black Tesla almost runs us out of the street and then yells at us like we were at fault. We kind of wish God would kind of go Old Testament on them at that moment. You know, we, we, that, that person at work that just goes out of their way to make your life a living hell, who treats you like garbage, we... We kind of want to see God like, mm, give it to them a little bit. And it offends us that God really, really loves that undeserving sinner. That's unsavory truth number one. Unsavory truth number two about God's infinite love. Not only does God love, really love, undeserving sinners, but you're one of them. 
You are one of those undeserving sinners that God really, really loves. And that does not sit well for those of us who think we are moral, upstanding citizens of society. This was part of Jonah's problem. Jonah forgot that he was also a recipient of God's undeserved grace. Let's read chapter 4, verses 5 through 9. And while Jonah is sulking in the corner, God sends him an object lesson to just really bring it through that he loves undeserving sinners and Jonah is one of those people who needs God's grace as well. So let's read verses 5 through 9. Jonah went out of the city and sat to the east of the city and made a booth for himself there. He sat under the shade till he should see what would become of the city. Now the Lord God appointed a plant and made it come up over Jonah that it might be a shade over his head to save him from his discomfort. So Jonah was exceedingly glad because of the plant. But when dawn came up the next day, God appointed a worm that attacked the plant so that it withered. When the sun rose, God appointed a scorching east wind, and the sun beat down on the head of Jonah so that he was faint. And he asked that he might die, and said, It is better for me to live, uh, better for me to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, Do you do well to be angry for the plant? And he said, Yes, I do well to be angry, angry enough to die. You see what God does here? He puts this object lesson around Jonah. He puts Jonah's sitting out there in the hot sun, and God graciously puts this wonderful shade that grows over him. Jonah didn't deserve it. Jonah didn't plant it. Jonah didn't water it. Jonah didn't fertilize it. This shade just came over him, and Jonah was exceedingly glad. He's rejoicing. Ah, this feels so good. Nice, cool shade, and... This is awesome. And then God takes it away. And all of a sudden, Jonah is angry. In other words, Jonah loves God's undeserved favor when it's coming to him, but he hates it when it's going to the people he doesn't like. And it exposes Jonah's motivation, when God says, now do you have a right to be angry? Think about your answer. Because if you say yes, you're basically admitting that you're not concerned about fairness or justice. All you're concerned about is what you want, and you want to get what you want when you want it. And when you want the other person not to get what they want, then God should obey you and not give them what they don't deserve. Is that justice? That's not justice. That's us just being selfish. And Jonah exposed the uns basically the selfishness in his heart as he reacts to what God has done here. And unfortunately, I can kind of relate to him. When God does this, 
grace thing. Pouring out his grace on people. I want him to do it my way, not his way. See, here's what's going on under the surface. Jonah fell into the trap. We all do. We all draw a line that divides the world into two categories. The good people over here, people who are helping, people who are making the world better, and then all those messed up people over there who really, they're the ones destroying the world, they're the ones who are making this world terrible for all of us good people here. We divide up the world, we draw a line according to our own kind of preferences. All of us do this. Christians do it. Non-Christians do it. Woke people do it. Unwoke people do it. We're the good guys. They're the bad guys. Whatever issue you want to bring up, it's like, who are the people that are on that side of the line? Murderers, terrorists, San Francisco Giants fans. Uh, just the, the, whatever it is that you divide up the world and say, we're the good guys. Climate change deniers or climate change activists or CRT believers or white nationalists or whoever it is over there, the bad guys, we want God to hate them while he takes care of us because we're pretty good. We're, we're, we're smart. We're we're in touch with, with what needs to be done. You know, I'm not perfect, but at least, at least I'm not like them. We all divide up the world like that. And God wants to correct that. And here's the inconvenient truth. We're all on the wrong side of the line. All of us, all of us are undeserving sinners who God really loves. There's only one category in the Bible of persons, and that is people who are deeply broken and deeply loved by God. All of us, deeply broken, deeply loved by God. I'm one of them, so are you, so let's just praise the Lord, right hand. Um, <clears throat> you may have heard of the so-called problem of evil. You know, the, the, since the ancient Greeks, philosophers have said, the most devastating critique of belief in God is the problem of evil. It goes like this, if God is truly good, then he wants to eliminate evil from the world. If God is perfectly powerful, then he can eliminate evil from the world. But evil is still here. So either God is not there, or God is not perfectly good, or God is not perfectly powerful. We lose any way we do that. Now, the problem with that argument is it assumes that we're on the good side of the line. We're not the problem. We're not the evil. It's those guys, and if God would just round up the evil people and get rid of them, then we would all be able to enjoy a nice, pleasant world. The problem is, 
the truth in the Bible, which is, I like the way Alexander Solzhenitsyn puts it in his novel. He, he says, uh, the, the line between good and evil runs through every human heart. The line between good and evil runs through every human heart. We've all got places in our lives where we're part of the problem. And we've got places in our lives where we're part of the solution. But if God were to put all of the evil in the world in a bucket and then squash it, we would all be in there. Problem of evil is, is us. We've got, we've got the disease in us. We're not the ones that are immune and everyone, we quarantine from those who have it. We're all, we've all got it. All right. Unsavory truth number three. We've already seen that God really loves undeserving sinners and that we're one of them. And now number three, if God really loves undeserving sinners, you should do the same. You should love really messed up people. If you're a follower of Jesus, <clears throat> you're following him and learning to do what he did, and he loves people who are really messed up, and he wants to express that love in every way possible, including through your hands and feet. Let's look at uh, Jonah verse 10, chapter 4, verse 10 and 11. And the Lord said, you pity the plant for which you did not labor, nor did you make it grow, which came into being in the night and perished in the night. And should not I pity Nineveh, that great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left, and also much cattle? <laughs> Gotta love those repentant ruminants. Keep showing up here. God loves them. No, God is saying to, to Jonah, he's saying, you're all concerned about this dinky little plant that's protecting your precious little head from the sun? Like, your air conditioner is the most important thing to you? When there's 100,000 plus people down the hill who are self-destructing and their only hope is through my healing presence in their lives and you don't give a ratzokole about that. That's a Hawaiian word. You can look it up later. If we truly had the priorities of God, God prioritizes people. The well-being the, the peace and the joy and the love of human beings is God's big concern. And so what that means practically for us is, you know, when, when your air conditioner breaks down in your house, you should be more concerned about showing love and expressing compassion and goodness to that smelly guy who comes in and tracks mud all over your floor, you should be more concerned about that 
than you are about the temperature in your house. When this checkout line clerk comes and starts snapping at you because you tell them that, oh, you know what, that, that ice cream was actually on sale and, so, and they're, they're mean to you about it, you should be more concerned about expressing the love of Christ to that checkout clerk than you are about getting $1.29 off of your rocky road. Hopefully you can do both at the same time. Be loving and get your $1.29. But if you had to choose, which is more important? Showing love to this person who's probably hurting, who's probably had a terrible day. And now this is the last straw. And maybe a comment from you, a kindness from you, might turn their whole day around. If God really loves undeserving sinners... We should do the same thing. And I got some news for you. If you're a follower of Christ, you've already been drafted into his worldwide plan to bring his love and grace and mercy and compassion to the people, the neighborhoods around you. You're already part of that. Now, maybe you're going to disobey that and just leave that aside, but if you're a follower of Christ... That's already your mission. Your mission, should you choose to accept it, is to be an agent of Christ's infinite love to the neighborhood you're in, to the people at work, the people that you see when you drop off your kids at school, the people that you see when you, when you go to the store. Your mission is to infiltrate this neighborhood, pretend to be a normal person, but go around dropping love bombs here and there and giving the love of Christ to the people that you see in ways that they are impacted and they find that they can't ignore the fact that God loves this undeserving sinner. That's your job. Are you doing your job? I'll be honest. I'm not doing a great job of my job. I have a hard time. I get, I get distracted. I get uh, intimidated. I, I have a hard time doing that. But that's part of my job. And that's part of your job too. Now, let's get real practical. If you're going to express the infinite love of God to the people around you, maybe you're really outgoing and really gregarious and the type of person who sits down next to someone on an airplane and leads them to Christ. If you're that guy, praise God for you. You're awesome. Uh, I'm not that guy. I'm shy. I'm kind of awkward around new people. So this is my, this is my strategy for outreach that I'm going to share with you. How can you show God's love and kindness to undeserving people? Number one, share a meal with them. You know, some people, a lot of people might not accept your invitation to come to church, but who can pass up a free meal? You know, invite over to dinner 
that person at work that seems like they're always, you know, stressed out, they're, they're depressed, they're anxious, invite them over to dinner sometime. Just say, hey, I'd like to hang, spend some time. Let's, let's, let, me, let me get to know your story. The person that, in your class who you always seem to butt heads with because they have a different political outlook than you. Ask them over to dinner. Tell them, you know, I know we've, we've got our differences. Let's, let's go have a coffee. Share a meal with them. Uh, another thing that anybody can do, you know, normal people who aren't the, the outgoing, outgoing uh, ultra-evangelist type. Just listen to them. I know I've talked about this before. It might sound like a broken record to some of you guys, if you even know what a broken record is anymore. Um, but I keep, I keep repeating this because I, I don't think Christians are known for being the best listeners. And I think that should change. I would love to see all of us be the person at work when people think, I'm having a real problem, I'm struggling. Who can I talk to about this? Because I don't have any friends that I can really be open and honest with. And they think, oh, I think I could talk to them. They'll listen without condemning me, without correcting me, without judging me. They're going to listen like they're really interested in my story. Like they really care. Wouldn't it be awesome if every one of us became that person for our workplace, for our group of friends. Okay, number three. How can normal people like us show God's love and kindness to undeserving people? Pray for them. Now, you may not realize this, but start trying it. If, if you offer to pray for someone, nine times out of ten, they'll say, yeah, sure. Now, they might not believe it's going to do anything. They probably don't, but they'll let you. And so you just take, you know, quick 10-second prayer. 10-minute prayer, oh my. Okay, 10-second prayer. It'll probably be awkward, but you just pray for their, what, they're, what they're dealing with. And then you say, all right, let me, let me know how it goes. And see, here's what happened through your offering that 10-second prayer to them. If it happens, if what you prayed for happens, they're going to not, they're not just going to think what they would have if you didn't pray for them. Oh, well, that's lucky. I got the promotion. Yeah, that's cool. I guess I'm pretty cool. Because you said that 10-second prayer for them, now they're going to have this thought in the back of their mind, I wonder if God did that. I wonder if that prayer worked. And that questioning process might lead to some other discomforting questions like, I wonder if God actually sees what's going on in my life. I wonder if God actually cares about me. And I wonder if that weird guy that prayed for me actually knows something about this stuff. Little 10-second prayer can go a long way with the Holy Spirit behind it. Um, number four, serve their needs. 
You know, when you start listening to people, when you invite them out for coffee, you get to know them a little bit, needs come up. Problems come up. Conflicts come up. And some of them you can pray for, and some of them you could actually do something about. Some of them maybe you can't do something about, but maybe someone in your life group could do something about. Someone in your community could jump in there and say, yeah, I might be able to do that. When you hear that someone, someone's, you know, they, they're so depressed because their, their house is just a mess and it's been a mess for eight months and they can't do anything about it and you say, you know, I, maybe me and a couple of friends could come over and help. You want to talk about the love of God being expressed to broken people? That's how to do it. So this is, this is what we talk about when we say God is love. God is love means your life is not going to look the same. God is love means that when you confront someone that's different than you, that's maybe more messed up than you, you're going to have a very different attitude towards them. God is love means that when you look at your own self in comparison to others and you try to make yourself feel better, it's going to have a whole different way of dealing with all of your internal justifications. You know, Here's how Jonah could have had a great day rather than a miserable day. If instead of separating himself, going up on the hill and saying, those guys over there, I hope, they, I hope God still just smites them. Instead of pushing himself outside and complaining, what if he embraced the infinite love of God and said, you know what? I don't like those guys, but I'm going to go join them tonight for a meal. I'm going to go hear their stories, listen to them. I'm going to go enjoy their presence, even though, yeah, they're messed up. They've got problems. They are destroying their lives, and I'm right there with them because I'm messed up too. So I'm going to just join in the banquet of undeserving sinners. And we're going to have a fun time tonight praising God, enjoying his presence, and enjoying the presence of the people around. He would never even have needed his little plant air conditioner unit if he had just come in, into loving solidarity with the sinners around him, enjoyed their presence, listened to them, prayed for them, been part of their, their worlds. If he had done that, he could have enjoyed a savory meal of togetherness and community with the very people that he didn't like. We can do the same. We're all invited to the banquet of undeserved sinners. Are you going to take up that invitation? And are you going to pass on that invitation to the people around you who need it? Let's pray. Can I have the worship team come forward? We'll have prayer team on the side.
Now, some of us may need the courage to just step into the mission that God's called us. Some of us may need to just get a little bit of a kick in the okole from God to say, get out there and do your mission. And if that's you, I want you to give God your yes this morning. Yes, I will be part of your mission. I don't know what that's going to look like. I'm going to stumble along the way, but I'm going to do what I can to join you in loving this city around me. Now, for some of you, you're feeling like you just, you've messed up really bad. And you've messed up so bad that you feel like you don't deserve God's grace. You don't deserve God's love. And this morning, God is saying, join the banquet. Join the banquet of undeserving sinners that we're all a part of. No matter what you've done, no matter how bad you screwed up, God is inviting you and saying, come join in the fun. And if that's you, go talk to one of the prayer team members. Go get prayed for. Say yes to God's invitation. And for some of us, we just need to come to grips with God and say, yeah, I'm a sinner too. I'm, I'm not here on my own merit. I'm not here because I do such a great job. I throw myself on the ocean of infinite love and grace that God has poured out for me. And if that's you, surrender to God and say, yes, I come to you on equal ground with everyone else, an undeserving sinner, and I know I can count on your grace. Lord God, we invite you into this place to do business with us wherever we're at. Whatever we need to do, Lord, place your finger on that for us and show us this is your next step and help us to take it. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.